Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Raul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets practice. How's it going, everybody? This week on the podcast, we had on Dr. Aaron Kubal. He's going to hate the fact that I just called him a doctor, but hey, that's your title. Deal with it, bud. Anyways, he's doing something unique in the TikTok space where he is calling people out on their BS. Not only is it hilarious, but it's actually effective marketing. Anyways, he talks about how he is now navigating a space as a recent graduate and a new business owner. So I believe everybody has something that they can get from this podcast. Enjoy. All right, Aaron, we know exactly who you are, but you're going to have to tell the clients or the listeners who they who you are. So you're go right ahead. Up, you know? <laughs> I messed it up. See, I told you, I'm not good at this stuff. Brandon, I thought that was really good. Um, <laughs> you guys can hear me okay, right? I don't need yes, to like you. Okay. Yeah, I'm Aaron Kubal. Um, Aaron Kubal, DC, actually, as a licensed chiropractor. Now, I always forget that I'm like actually not a student anymore. But yeah, I uh, graduated in November from Northwestern Health Sciences here in Minnesota, um, my DC degree, and then hit the ball rolling with my practice, Twin Cities Rehab and Performance, uh, right away as soon as I got my license. And um, in the beginning, it was intended to just be, you know, offer telehealth services while I work my way into partnering with a gym. I was going to rent, rent uh, office space out of a gym just, just nearby. And um, the telehealth thing really kind of caught fire for me. And I am still planning to move into the gym. I'm actually going to be signing my lease next week. But uh, the telehealth thing's gotten so big that I'm not even sure, you know, if I even need to do that anymore. So it's been an incredibly unique way to start practice. None of it was what I predicted. I didn't plan for any of it. Um, it all just happened. So it's been really fun. I'm really enjoying it. And uh, yeah, that's a little, I suppose that's a little background. So tell us a little bit more about telehealth, how you start into it and why are you currently preferring that or not preferring that, but only doing that and instead of just, yeah. I mean, besides COVID, obviously. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's, what's interesting about it. Um, I mean, I, I just said to you guys right before the call that I have no idea what I'm doing as a business owner at all. Um, but I did spend a good amount of time three months before graduation, really diving into learning a little bit about business and being a practice owner and, you know, kind of being a lone wolf in that situation. And one of the things that I found, um, with starting a new business and like what determines whether or not it's going to work and be successful or if it's going to peter out and die um, is timing is always kind of the biggest thing. And so for me, um, I just kind of looked at my situation and some of the things that I bring to the table that are a little bit more unique compared to other people with the DC license. Um, and I just said, you know, how can I, leverage this in a way that fits with today. Obviously the internet gets bigger and bigger and bigger every day and we get more and more online um, every passing day. But now with COVID, like you guys said, um, treating patients in person is a challenge. So telehealth is getting much more normalized. Um, you know, there's a ton of gray area around it right now, as far as what we can and can't do. All we know right now is that we can offer it. Um, and we can provide that for people. So I say, you know, take advantage of that. My prediction is that as COVID starts to ramp down and vaccines um, keep getting distributed, I actually think telehealth is going to be here to stay. I think it's going to expand actually, just because the convenience, um, you know, people don't have to be driving to appointments, access gets easier, uh, especially when you start thinking about rural communities that might not have a clinic in the area. Um, and then if we think about best practices too, for MSK, this is the best chance we have to capitalize and actually do the right thing for once, because we know that reassurance and reactivation is really all you need in like 95% of the cases. Um, and you can absolutely provide that over telehealth. So, and, and, and in fact, telehealth pretty much forces you to provide that and nothing else. Mm -hmm. Um, 
which is, I think is a really great thing. And that's actually a lot of what my consultations look like right now. So I think that's a huge positive. Um, and another reason that I really gravitated towards it. And then obviously, um, you guys know this about me, but for me, just as an individual, um, I don't do the whole manual therapy thing. I don't market it. I don't advertise for it and I don't provide it. So uh, as somebody who doesn't really value a hands-on approach and, um, you know, talking about timing and talking about leveraging the things that make me unique, um, telehealth again is a perfect opportunity to do that because I can't crack you through a computer screen. I can tell you how to do it yourself. I can tell you to lay on a foam roller or something. Maybe fact though. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm just, I mean, you know, it's, everything just kind of kept seeming to line up as far as just making like too much sense not to go all in on that. So that's kind of how I wound up uh, in this situation. Jake told me that you're getting patients from TikTok. Exclusively. (laughs) Exclusively. I, I have gotten patients exclusively from TikTok, um, which again, if you were to rewind 10, 12 months and tell me, that my practice was going to be entirely online and my main source of clients was going to be TikTok, which I was not on 10, 12 months ago. Um, I would have had serious inquiries about who I become in 10 to 12 months. <laughs> Again, you, sometimes you just got to ride that wave. And uh, all of mine have come from TikTok except for one. Um, I, I, it's, it's insane. I, I started on TikTok in November um, just on a whim, just because I knew that telehealth was going to be a part of my practice. I didn't know how much. I just knew it was going to be a piece. And I was like, okay, what can I do to um, get my name out there and get people to to see me and reach more clients? And I, like I said, I kind of did the deep dive on business uh, over the past three months before before graduation. And Gary V. I'm sure you guys know who that is. That little high pitched Russian guy uh, who talks about business all the time. I started watching his videos and like, I saw like three videos in a row one day where he was like, if you're not on TikTok, you're shooting yourself in the foot. And I was like, by the third one, I was like, okay, Gary V. I'll get on TikTok. I'll do it. And I started and um, you know, like it caught fire right away for me for some reason. And since I started mid-November, what is it now? Towards back end of February. Yep. And I'm at, the last I looked at my app, I was, I'm was i at like 27,000 followers, I think. Um, and like I said, my entire clientele is from there. Um, and it's, it's just been truly insane. Uh, it's expanded my reach. And quite frankly, like it's, it's also been an incredible way to promote evidence-based practices too, which we're all passionate about. So, um, the opportunity on TikTok is insane. Uh, I've started getting a lot more people reaching out to me asking about business and marketing, which is also insane because I don't know what I'm doing. But, um, one of the first things I recommend to pretty much everybody is to get on there. Um, because it is still like, I would say it's still kind of in its early stages. Not everybody is on, but it's growing so insanely fast. Um, and the, the space is there as far as like, if you are somebody who cares about evidence-based practice, there's not a lot of people talking about it on there. So you have that kind of rare opportunity. You know, you you mentioned Jake, right? Well, what happened with Jake? He got in on Instagram at the right time and started pushing his message on there aggressively at the right time about six years ago. Um, and that is ex- honestly, that's exactly how I see my timing right now, lining up on TikTok. The timing is right. It's early enough. Um, I got my foot in the door and started hitting it hard quickly enough. I mean, when I say hitting it hard, like it's anywhere from two to five posts a day is what I'm putting out on there right now. It takes a lot of effort, um, but it's freaking working. <laughs> so like I said, it's just, it's just riding the wave at this point. It's Truly, truly crazy. The content that you're putting out is, yes, evidence-based, but it definitely goes against the grain of the common thought process when it comes to practicing (laughs) chiropractors and also people that think they know what a chiropractor does. So I'm just curious, like, are you getting any flame on the comments or any type of resistance? Yeah, resistance. Yeah, Um, that's been 
the, my first video, my first video that really popped was um, ripping on chiropractic. Um, it was, it was a video of me. It's very short. Um, I was mimicking like my classmates, uh, who were like, just all in like, Oh, if I crack this back, I fix this problem. Um, and then I do it. And then it cuts to me standing there, like standing very, looking very skeptical. And then I basically don't crack the spine model that's laying on the table. And I say something like, uh, this seems like made up or something like that. I don't even remember what I said. That video is at like 900,000 views now. Um, and it just spiked. I, I think I got like 6,000 followers from that. Um, and now that was really the, what started like the whole cascade of, of, of me growing on there. And it was something ripping on my own profession. Um, what, what I, the way I see that, because I do get a lot of, a lot of people questioning what I do. Um, why I'm doing that? Why are you ripping on your own profession? Why are you being so negative? Why are you focusing on tearing others down when you could be building that up? Blah, 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 blah. People do not understand my perspective on that at all. And it's multifaceted. I think I, the way I see it, it makes sense to me in a lot of levels. So first of all, it's not all negative. I think a lot of the people who, who are upset about it are seeing what I repost on Instagram. And I put those videos on there because they fit on there. Uh, you can't post longer than a 30 second video on Instagram reels. So not everything I post makes it on there. But what I try to do with the TikTok page is I try to keep about a roughly a 10 to one ratio of the 10 being um, information, answering questions, providing useful info for people who follow me. And then the one being just go after everybody. Um, anything that's pseudoscientific, anything that's not evidence-based, anything that's unhelpful for public information, I just go full attack on. And that's like my, the one of that ratio. Um, so it's definitely, it's definitely not primarily me doing that, but that is what drives a lot of the attention to my page. Um, because it, those types of videos, it's very easy for me to leverage my personality which goes a long way with marketing um, and putting out content like that is just being yourself because people, at the end of the day, people, people resonate with people. They don't resonate with robots or scripts, you know? So for me, the more I can be myself, the better I tend to do. Um, and with those types of videos, it's very easy. So the way I see it, you know, why is that valuable for someone like me or someone like you guys with the perspective that we all kind of share of how important evidence-based medicine is, First of all, it's telling people what they should be watching out for. Um, so I'm pointing out, you know, predatory practice red flags in a really satirical way. Um, and I have had a ton of inter interactions now with people who have thanked me for saying, hey, like I got out of a situation that I had no idea was sketchy. And, you know, it's the classic, like I've seen this person four times a week for a problem that doesn't exist and uh, getting cracked up and down. And I thought it was great. It hasn't really changed anything about me, but I'm going because I think I'm supposed to. And now that those, some, a lot of people have pulled themselves out of those situations because they end up seeing the video. So that's a big deal to me. Um, I'm not really doing that to try and change chiropractic. I don't think we can. I think it's, it's just going to be the way it is. Um, I think it's so far gone at this point. How are you going to reverse that tide? Um, but what we can do is show people that there is another option that they should probably seek out. Um, so it's not necessarily me trying to change the profession, um, but it is just giving people a chance to see what to watch out for. And then we do, I do get that opportunity to, with those kind of jabby type videos to push a good evidence-based narrative too. Like I do sneak important information in there and how much of that they actually grab onto. I don't know, but it's there. Um, so yeah, plus, I mean, if we, if we just look at it from a marketing perspective too, like I can't pretend like this isn't for marketing purposes as well. What works in marketing controversy mm -hmm. has to be at the top of the list. So just think about it for what it is, a chiropractor who appears to hate chiropractic on an app where chiropractic absolutely kills it. We get hashtag chiropractor or hashtag chiropractic on TikTok gets between 1 billion and 3 billion hits a day. Jesus. Um, and all those videos that kill it are just people getting their back cracked. 
And I have not done that on my page one single time and I never will. So that to people stumbling upon my stuff is inherently interesting Mm -hmm. because they know I can make an easy splash play on TikTok and just be one more back cracky guy. But I'm saying, no, screw that. That shit sucks. Here's why. And here's what's better. That starts to get interesting to people is just being that far against the grain and going that completely the opposite direction. So it is a lot of marketing too. You're the unicorn of the chiropractic. I get that comment, dude, all the time. That's what's so funny. The uni- I get, um, I made a, I made a really stupid video like two days ago where, so that paper came out from, uh, Pierre Cote and Jan Hartvigsen, um, about how we don't have evidence to support treatment of colic, dysmenorrhea, uh, migraine, all that stuff. And so I <laughs> post this video I'm wearing these women's sunglasses. I really like the way they look on me. Uh, and I'm drinking a Bud Light and like dancing around my room to, I think it was like, uh, what is that song by Cool and the Gang? I don't know. But what a celebrate, good times, come on. Is it called celebrate? doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Maybe it's celebration. I don't know. Beside the point. <laughs> I'm dancing to that. I got my shades on, drinking a Bud Light. And then I start like just talking about like why I'm so stoked. And I was like, this is a win for evidence-based practice because um, a good public statement saying, hey, we don't have evidence for this stuff. So probably stop paying the quack who's pushing it. Right. Um, so I made that video. And this uh, woman in pharmacy who has a huge account, like 80,000 followers, grabbed it and did like a video where she like reacts to it. So you can see me in her video and then you can see her face too. And she like stitch or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, stitch. That's right. Yeah. And in the stitch, she goes, guys, I'm so happy. I found an evidence-based chiropractor who stays within his lane, knows his scope of practice and calls out bullshit whenever he sees it. Um, And her putting that on her page literally got me 6,000 more followers overnight. And her video, that video that she stitched did incredibly well. So again, like as silly as it might seem, as un, as mean as it might seem, and it is mean, like I, I'm not nice about this because I don't want to be and I like making fun of people. Um, it, it works. And the people who we want to gravitate towards it, people in medicine um, who we're trying to help in this, what really is a public health type mission, um, you know, an evidence-based narrative throughout our society, they really appreciate the efforts um, and they'll share it and they'll promote you if you make it very clear to them who you are and what you're about. So she grabbed that and shared it and, uh, and it definitely went a long way. And then in her comment section, that's where I was coming to with the unicorn thing. I went through it. It's got like 500 comments on it and just people talking about me. And most of the comments are, oh my God, he's a unicorn oh my God, it's Bigfoot. I didn't know people like this existed. Like what's an evidence-based chiropractor? Isn't that an oxymoron? Which is one of my favorite lines. So I was kind of pissed that other people were coming up with that. But uh, yeah, it was, um, it was pretty wild. It's a, I'm a unicorn. I might change my, my social media handles and be like the Cairo unicorn or something. So how does a typical telehealth consultation look like with you? Um, Obviously a lot of hearing it, and... It's very, I always say, I always tell people, because like, if you know my personality, you can probably kind of guess what they look like. I don't, I go in blank slate. I don't have any semblance of a plan whatsoever. Um, I know what I need to ask when certain things come up and when certain conditions are getting talked about, obviously. But um, I really like it to be very laid back. You know, think about, think about it from this perspective. I market myself in a certain way. Um, and I know all my clients are coming from TikTok, so I know they're watching my marketing and I know they're scheduling with me because they like what they saw in my videos. Um, so I need to match that. And if the marketing really reflects who I am, which it does, I'm just being a jackass on there. Um, then that's how I'm going to be on my calls too. So I just, I talk to them like I'd talk to you guys in a bar. I talk to them like I'm talking to you guys right now, just be myself, be comfortable, make them talk, make them feel like they're talking to a real human um, who says real human things, not, you know, some healthcare drone. And, and the other thing that really makes that important to me is my demographic. So typically, and I mean, think about this from a money perspective too, who's going to pay a cash rate? Cause I am cash only. Who's going to pay cash. Uh, typically it's people who 
are in scenarios where they're quite a bit more limited by their pain, uh, be it, you know, longstanding persistent pain cases where they haven't uh, found help anywhere else, or somebody with a more severe injury where some level of activity, some level of function has been taken away from them. There's some kind of level of disability. Um, those are the people who seek me out because who, again, like who's going to pay a cash rate? It's people like that. So knowing that, um, I also know that a lot of people, so this is more relevant to the persistent pain cases, think like fibromyalgia. Um, I've had a crazy amount of people with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, um, wanting to work with me and thinking about those people and what their experiences, and this is really well reflected for a lot of those conditions I just named, um, in qualitative research, how dismissed a lot of them have been by the medical community. A lot of them have stories about very negative. I mean, this is not a knock on the medical community because they kind of have their hands tied too. There's a reason that um, some of those interactions don't go very well. And a lot of it's because they're very hamstrung with their time. And I feel like to address somebody with longstanding persistent pain who has a lot of questions and not a, there aren't a lot of answers to give, you need time. And they don't have that luxury. So like, this is where you, we could really help quite a bit, I feel like. Um, but knowing, knowing that they typically have not had positive experiences with the medical community um, and knowing that more often than not, I'm kind of like they're not, I don't want to say like last hope, but definitely like they tried everything else, you know, that kind of situation. Um, I don't want to, I want to be as, uh, as not as different as possible, but I don't want to be like the same situation over and over again. So if I get on the call and I'm wearing, you know, the nice button down and I'm talking like a weird, um, you know, Siri voice or something like that, it's going to feel like those experiences all over again. But if I get on here and I be myself and I'm very laid back and I just listen and just talk with them and empathize and, you know, be a person, those encounters go really, really well more often than not. And, uh, and they really appreciate that. And then because I do have the luxury of time because it's a cash practice and um, I'm my own boss, I can do whatever I want. I can give them, you know, an hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever they need and just listen. The comment I get most from the people who are like that is um, that I'm the first person who's sat down and just listened to them. Or just like when they go on and on and on um, about all their struggles, instead of diagnosing them with bipolar disorder, I say, oh, that sucks. Let's talk about how we can work through this. You know, it's just a good opportunity to provide that different type of experience. And if you align yourself with your marketing in that way, then there's no surprises. They know what they're going to get when they get on the call with you. And that's a lot of the time why they book that appointment. So um, if Jake helped you do your business model, I'm guessing you use the same business model of consult. And then if they want, they get the separate rehab programming. Is that right? Yeah. The, yeah so yeah. does... So Does the majority of your patients uh, do only the consult or have you seen that a lot of them do the consult and then they want the rehab or how do you go about that? I know it depends okay. on the this patients, is, obviously. So uh, this is not, I would not recommend this, what I'm about to say for anybody who's about to start a business like this. Uh, again, remember I'm a bad business owner and I have an unhealthy relationship with money. So I'm working through that. But right now, Um, I do not like the idea of somebody getting on a call with me for an initial paying for that. And then coming out of the initial with me, not being able to help them. Um, because that's not going to be a fun situation. You know, here's a hundred bucks. Thanks for nothing. Um, I don't want that to happen. So I do offer free calls right now because I have the time. I have no overhead. I don't really have much for expenses right now. Um, so I do offer 15 to 30 minute free consults. And in those, I treat that as kind of like a screening process for, um, should we schedule an actual paid initial? Can I actually help you? Do you actually want this? Is this going to be a waste of your time? Do we need to send you somewhere else? Is simple advice going to be enough to get you through? So that type of interaction where you talk about, you know, just the consult and they're good to go. Um, that doesn't quite happen for me because I'm doing that on my free calls. So if it is like a reassurance and reactivation type case where I'm just saying, Hey, you're actually probably good. Try a couple of these things and give it a rip. I think in a couple of weeks, you're going to be fine. This doesn't really warrant a rehab program. This doesn't warrant a treatment plan. Um, those are happening on my free calls. So unfortunately I'm not getting paid for them. That's by 
choice because I have a very guilty conscience and um, just feel weird about having situations where I don't really provide anything and then uh, they pay me. That's going to change, of course, you know, as I start to get busier, as I start to have more people vying for my time, which is starting to happen over kind of the last two weeks, then I'm going to have to charge for those types of interactions. And I'm okay with that. Um, But while I can do it for free right now and just give simple advice, I have been. Um, So a lot of those, I mean, a lot of those end up converting to people just wanting to work with me anyway. So maybe it is a good way to go about it when you're starting out. I have no idea. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, like you have somebody that may not need a specific rehab protocol, but, you know, if we're talking about the typical, like the average American, they don't really move much already. So would you consider like, okay, maybe you don't need a rehab program per se to fix the problem that you came to me with. However, we could still get you on some sort of exercise regimen that's going to be programmed by me, which is going to be good. And it will improve other areas of your life. Have you ever considered something like that? I do offer like personal training, individualized training. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't promote it. I'm probably going to take it off the website pretty soon just because so much of my time right now, like the demand for just injury and pain type of consultations and care is high enough that I I have a feeling the training that I offer is not going to be worth my time eventually. And I would rather work with people in pain anyway than be a personal trainer. Um, so I think I'm going to pull that pretty soon. The only reason I still have it up right now is because I am moving into my physical space pretty soon. So if I do want to make sure I spend a couple hours in there each week, I might start training some people, but um, I'll probably move away from that, but that would fit into what you described there. That would fit into like, if we're just, if my recommendation for somebody is just some level of general exercise that would fit into some of those free calls where I just say, you know, Hey, you could try this, this, and this run it, see how you do. You'll probably improve within a few weeks. Um, I always, I always give people my, my email on those consults too, because they can just send simple questions and, and I can just type back like, yep, that's good. Or whatever. If it's, if it's short and sweet like that too. So um, there are times where, where I'll just make that simple of a recommendation and they'll, they'll go on their way. Yeah. Given that like, you know, you're putting out three to five posts a day on TikTok, <laughs> you are trying to put out fires left and right when it comes to starting a business. There's a lot yeah. of growth happening in this short amount of time. I'm just curious, is there a certain area that you feel like you're growing exponentially and what are some troubleshooting things that some people might want to hear from you? Um, I'm getting, so clinically speaking, my communication has like evolved overnight, just a crazy amount, um, uh, over the last two months, just cause I, I have to be so much more reliant on that, especially through a video call mm-hmm. to really make sure that I'm connecting with people. Um, cause to me, that is the most important thing is just creating a really strong connection and building that level of trust. Uh, so my connect, my communication skills have, uh, definitely, definitely improved a lot in this time, you know, and that's, and that's more than just, um, being able to relay information. That's also, um, you know, being able to, uh, talk through things as simple as exercise, explain, uh, different concepts with, you know, progressions, regressions, different concepts around pain science. Um, something I do a lot that's been kind of a fun little, experiment too is I actually will share uh, a lot of resources with clients. I do that for everybody I work with and um, I will literally send them like highlighted research papers. If I feel like there's something in there that's worth reading for them. And what I've actually found at least just from client feedback is one, they appreciate it because I'm sharing something with them and I just send it whenever I think of the person because I'm always doing my own reading. And whenever I read something where I'm like, Oh, that fits this person, send it to them. A, it shows that I'm thinking of them, but what they've expressed to me that I did not anticipate is they really appreciate the fact that it is the actual research paper. It's not some dumbed down version of whatever. Um, And what they will say consistently is they appreciate that I don't just assume that every patient is a complete idiot and can't read. Um, They like that I I'm looking at them like somebody who could digest um, information from a research paper and actually 
understand what it's saying. Now, is that going to be the best way to share resources for everybody? No, it's not going to fit every patient I have. But um, a lot of them have said like they like the fact that they feel like they're getting the information from the best place possible. And they feel like it's a sign of respect and like that we always talk about, you know, with a good therapeutic relationship, the provider and patient are on the same level. Well, if we're really on the same level, then you get the information that I get. And my way of at least making it a little more digestible for them is I just go through and highlight the parts I want them to focus on. And then it's perfect. So that's been another um, big change in communication for me that's gone well. Uh, Programming, I'm getting a lot more efficient at. That's definitely, I would say, what eats into my time the most right now. I, for sure, in these early stages, put too much thought into it. Um, I, I remember the first couple that I wrote for like my first handful of clients, I was spending anywhere from like three to four hours on each one because I wanted to be so perfect with prescription. And obviously we all know that when we're talking about prescribing exercise for pain, you don't really have to be perfect. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to pick the perfect exercise. You don't have to pick the perfect progression. You don't have to pick the perfect rep and set scheme, nothing like that. Um, so that watching how that goes and how a program evolves over the course of several weeks has been a really good learning experience for me so that I could look and say, well, shit, we end up changing a lot of this over the course of anywhere from three to 12 weeks. Anyway, maybe you don't have to be so perfect with the first copy that you send. So that has been um, a valuable learning experience what else putting out the fires as far as learning, you know, creating a website, um, administrative stuff, um, obviously still learning how to do a lot of that. That's tricky. Not sure that I really have anything that people would benefit from hearing that much on that front. (laughs) Um, yeah, most, most of my growth has still kind of come clinically in these early stages, I would say. So what do you love the most of what you're doing right now? And what do you dislike the most? Well, it's, it's, it is so nuts. I mean, like, cause I just, sometimes I sit and think about like what my classmates I graduated with are doing right now compared to what I'm doing. And I'm, I am quite literally like for my work hours, I'm sitting in my office, which is my brother's bedroom that he grew up in, in our house. <laughs> Um, I am sitting here all day on my computer, just talking to people, but, um, you know, and that maybe doesn't sound very appealing to a lot of folks, but this is without a doubt, the most fun that I've ever had in any sort of chiropractic context, because a, I'm calling all the shots. There's nobody to tell me that I have to go, you know, speederboard somebody's elbow or something like that. Um, which just God. Um, no, that's, I I'm calling all the shots. I'm doing things the way that I think they should be done. That's really enjoyable. Um, there is something about telehealth and a video call where you're in your place of comfort there and theirs, if it's in their house and getting to connect with a person on that level does get to be like sometimes more intimate than what you would expect in a face-to-face type situation. You get to, I mean, you're really like, we talk about, you know, meet somebody where they're at. Well, now you're really meeting them where they're at. You're, you're actually meeting them in the environment where their pain limits them the most, which is a really interesting kind of nuance to it. Because when we talk like in an actual in-person clinic, you have to talk about, you know, how does your pain limit you? Um, What areas do you want to improve upon? What do we need to change? What's modifiable and what's not? Well, now that information couldn't be more top of mind because they're in it right then and there. Like they might be, uh, they might've just reached up into the kitchen cabinet and had a hard time doing it because their shoulder hurt so bad. And now they sat down on a video call with you and you can talk about it. You can have them go try and modify that right then and there. I mean, so being in that environment, that, that adds an interesting aspect to it that I've kind of enjoyed as well. Um, I've also really liked getting creative with programming. Because being remote, you know, I don't get to watch them do their exercises. Uh, Every single person has a different level of access to equipment. I've written tons of just body weight only programs and progressions. So I had to get really creative in that regard. Um, That's really fun for me just because I like trying to think outside the box like that with what we can do progression and regression wise to really make sure that it fits exactly to that person. 
Um, there's Jake had me doing uh, exercise where we would look at every like stupid exercise where like, like just the dumb shit out there that it's like, why are we programming that? Like a beast crawl or a kickstand or what? I mean, all that silly stuff. Um, and he would have me look at like any, any exercise that I considered to be silly and say, come up with a situation where that exercise would be the perfect fit for somebody. So like one of those like stupid upside down kettlebell carries, I was like, oh, it's a waiter at a, fat, a fancy restaurant carrying the plate, you know, like that. It's perfect. So I have a huge uh, Word document sheet where I've like, I've got like probably 120 of them so far. And every time I've got a little downtime or I need a break, I'll go in there, type in an exercise that I think is dumb and then come up with in my brain, the avatar of the perfect patient for that exercise. So that is kind of fun. You get to use those types of things when you're trying to get a little bit more creative. Um, things that I don't like, it's hard to complain right now, honestly. I mean, some of the responsibilities that just come with being a business owner is not super sweet, but I still don't know what a lot of those responsibilities are. So how can I be that upset about it? <laughs> you know? uh, I think, man, I would have to, I might have to come back to that one. Things that I don't like that making my own website sucked. I hated doing that. Um, something about typing like paragraphs, trying to sell yourself feels very weird. Uh-huh. Uh, so I didn't love that. And it took me a long time because I'm not awesome with technology. That's another thing about TikTok, by the way. Could not be more user-friendly. Holy shit, it's easy. So Hold the button. Like, you, like I will say, like, I know I mentioned anywhere from two to five videos a day. At this point now that I've made so many and gotten so used to it, it does not take me a long time. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's another thing for people to consider, too, from a marketing aspect. If you really want to make things easy on yourself, being who you are and just trying to leverage different aspects of your personality. So you don't have to fake anything really goes a long way with making marketing much more easy for you too. Cause if I, I mean, let's be honest, if I had to get on camera and fake, like I'm this, you know, really intelligent, well-spoken, you know, professional person, I'm going to have to do a lot of takes over and over and over again. Cause that's just not who I am. But if I can, speak how I speak, don't have to think about it, um, just give information the way that I want to give it in a, in a way that I think is going to resonate with people just based on how I like to communicate. The videos make themselves, you know, like I, my parents always ask me like, how are you coming up with so many ideas so fast? Um, because I don't have to fake anything. So it's just always popping in my head. And as soon as it's there, it takes me, I don't think I've ever I don't think for the last probably three weeks of making content, I've ever spent more than 30 minutes on a video. So it, when you're being yourself, it gets a lot easier to put out stuff very consistently and just, you don't have to think twice. That's really nice. That right. So, so what, what about like a BOSU ball squat? Like where are we, where are we doing this with this avatar? Oh God. Okay. 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 <laughs> Let me think. Uh, Bosu ball squat. Who could we do that with? I haven't gotten to that. I haven't gotten to anything Bosu ball yet. So let's <laughs> uh, see if I can get one off the top of my head. Um, oh man. Who would that make sense for? Know, cruise ship. Cruise ship. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. If you're standing on something that's really wild, I mean, but those cruise ships are so stable. They're too big. So maybe if you really like sailing, Okay. And you have a real affinity for very rocky water and you need to be able to squat on that boat. That could be one. Um, okay. If you like tubing, I'm just scaling down the size of the vessel. Now, if you like tubing, you know, when you ride on, you're getting pulled by the boat and you're one of those freaks who likes to stand up on it all the time and show off and take pictures. You could stand on the boat, ball and train for that. Um, you guys shouldn't get me going on this. <laughs> That's two quick ones, but that was off the top of my head. Yeah. That was not, you know, know what's funny is you got to consider the type of person that would actually say like, yeah, my goal is to stand on an inner tube while being pulled by a boat. Like imagine what that person looks like. (laughs) Well, it's been interesting too to hear because I, goal setting is a huge thing for me and Uh something I really try to hammer in my initial consult. Um, We go over that into really fine detail, which is part of why my initial takes so long. Uh, not only do we go over the goal very specifically, but we also try to identify 
like once we have the goal drawn out, I say, okay, what are all the things that are going to stop you from getting there? If we don't start trying to address them now, or at least become aware of them now, what could stop you? What's currently stopping you? Um, and trying to map those things out. So when, when I talk about goal setting, you get some people with some pretty interesting goals. I had a consult two days ago with a woman who says she would like to be able to do a backbend so far that she can touch her head to her ass. Uh, her words, not mine. So I don't know if we'll get there, but I'm programming for it. It's going to be part of the equation. Um, and, you know, I had a conversation with her on the first consult about what is the upper limit of human adaptability? We don't know. But if we can touch her ass to her head or ass, head to ass, I don't know how you want to word that. Um, we might have a good case for a nice case report to address that question of what is the upper limit of human adaptability? Because that's a hell of a backbend. I don't know if you oh, guys yeah. have ever tried yeah. to touch your head to your own ass, but it is a long journey to get there. That's a lot of movement. So it's a hell of a testimony. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I'm excited if we, if I can, if I can make that happen, um, I'm going to tell her, I would like the testimony to say, uh, Aaron helped me bring my <laughs> head to my ass. And I want it to just be a period at the end of that. And I don't want any further contact. <laughs> That's it. And I would like to put that on my homepage if at all possible. <laughs> that would be good. I think. I mean, that's a really good point though. And you talked about how when you just let yourself be yourself online, which is not the, it, it's not, it's, it's definitely the opposite. A lot of people like to put a fake version of themselves out there online because they're afraid of judgment, but you're completely correct. When it comes to you just being completely free, ideas come out like out of the blue. And yeah. my, my question is, is like, you know, you, you seem very wise by saying that, but was there a point that you had to overcome where you're like, okay, I need to stop trying to put up this front. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Not, not like, not a ton because um, I've always liked who I am and I like trying to, you know, make people laugh and just not hold anything back. I think it's just more enjoyable that way in general. But when I first started on TikTok, I didn't know what I was doing. So if you go back and you watch like my first six videos, it is literally just me talking to the camera, very monotone. Actually, no, I wouldn't even say six because I did start to like deviate away from that. I think by like the third video, I started maybe making jokes and being a little bit less serious and maybe poking a little fun at people. So um, it didn't stay hidden for too long, but definitely like when I didn't know what I was doing, um, you could see that I was being a little bit fake about it. And then you can see that on my IG too. So like with Instagram, I've always had, I've wanted to try and grow on there for the longest time, but, um, just didn't know like what, like what can you contribute on that platform that isn't already being done by 30 other people? 30 is an incredibly small number, 300 other people. Right. right. Um, so what I initially started doing, I was like, you know what, just start, just start putting stuff out. I would do, it would be like a little picture of something that had to do with what I was writing about. And I would do like a blog style write-up um, of, you know, some concept that I thought was important. And if you look back at those, um, it's very academic. It's not funny. Not me. I, I'm not, like, I think I care a lot about academia and I care a lot about research. I'm not, that's not who I am as a person though. Like I, that's just what I think is important in healthcare. So for me to always be talking in that language and writing in that language, it just was not, you know, it's just not who I am. So I made like a hand, a good handful of posts like that. You know, none of them took off, no traction, whatever. Cause at the end of the day, like you just think about it simply who follows you on social media. It's people who like what you post and they like you. So if you're not posting anything that has to do with you or who you are and why they might like you, then those posts aren't going to do very well. So I started resharing my TikToks on there and, uh, and sure enough, then all of a sudden my Instagram page started getting traction too, because they are me. Um, and <laughs> it was so stupid. Like I started getting a lot of traction. I was on like, it was like 900 followers on there. Um, and then I doubled that after starting to post TikTok videos on Instagram over the course of like, uh, probably just a couple of weeks. So, so I was like, Oh my God, like this is what I could have been doing the entire time. And it would have taken off this quickly. That's nuts. And then my biggest, my biggest jump, I put up a post making fun of PTs looking at like pelvic 
you know, innominate rotations and upslips and all that nonsense, you know, basically the Cairo subluxation of PT other than maybe a derangement, which is also the Cairo subluxation of PT. But um, are those hot takes for this podcast? Are people saying that? Or is that par for the course around here? Uh, no, I mean, I think that's, I think that's normal. You know? Actually, of course. I hope that's par for the course. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, I made a post making fun of that. And then it got shared to a bunch of pages. And I literally added like 800 followers overnight. I was like, God damn, if I knew all I had to do was make fun of the physical therapists, uh, <laughs> get a little growth going on here. I would have done that forever ago, you know? So, um, yeah, as, as much as you can just leverage yourself, that's what people like. And then if you want to look at things from like an, a patient consult from a BPS perspective, we understand that, um, you know, if we're going to do rehab from a BPS perspective, we're going to need to know a little bit more than just what are your physical limitations or what do you want to be able to do physically? We need to know how it impacts them in other areas of their life too. That information uh, becomes a lot more easy for people to give you when they feel like they know you and when they feel like uh, they're comfortable with you. So to me, that stuff comes out readily in all my consults just because there's no facade. I mean, God, I don't even, that positive vibes drawing has been sitting there, you know, forever. And I mean, is that the most professional piece of wall art in the world? No, I drew it myself. It also says, if you can't really see it, it's kind of blurred, but my brother came in here uh, and wrote, his baby's name is Pete. It's my nephew. He's like five months old now. He wrote, my farts stink signed Pete. And I will not raise that. So if somebody has really high def camera, maybe they can see it. I don't know. Um, but no, I just think um, part of, part of that too, if you take that into consideration with being yourself and making somebody comfortable and then it's reflected in your marketing, like think about the, the lifespan of a consumer, you know, it doesn't just go usually from they watch one video and then they book an appointment. Usually they've been following you for a while. And then finally they hit some kind of tipping point a few weeks or months down the road where they're like, I really think this guy can help. And then they book. So if they've been getting exposed to me and who I am as a person and what I care about and talk about for two months, our therapeutic alliance is already much stronger than any outpatient clinic where people are just walking in off the street, you know, cause they know me, I don't know them yet, but they do know me because that is again, really well reflected in everything that I put up. That helps a lot. Yeah. My, my last question for you would be like, cause hindsight's always 2020 and then everybody has the ability to look back and say, Oh, I wish I did X, Y, and Z. And I'm talking not just the last couple of months of you being an actual uh, practicing physician, but let's talk also school as well. Is there, <laughs> is there anything that you would have changed up until this moment that you wish you have done? I would have learned how to use Excel and Microsoft Word earlier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't know they were going to be so important for my practice. No, I, um, I mean, if the question is around like, would you still have gone to Cairo school? I think, yeah, I think I would have. I mean, maybe like if, cause people always say like, why don't you pick PT? Um, and my answer to that is like, maybe I should have just because PT school is generally cheaper and reimbursement rates are better. So right. maybe I could have been an in-network, uh, provider, but you know, is PT inherently better when it comes to implementing evidence-based practices than we are probably a little bit, but they're not perfect either. And we know that we have research on that. Um, so I don't think that, I don't think I would go back in time and change professions, um, necessarily. Maybe I would. I don't know. I, I think for me, as far as like, how could I have prepped for this? What would I have done differently in that regard? God, I don't know. It's, it's tough because like so much of this ends up just being totally unpredictable and you just got to kind of roll with the punches, um, which again becomes a lot easier to do if you're just kind of staying true to who you are because that makes you a hell of a lot more adaptable when things get a little bit dicey. So mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I have any, any cut and dry regrets or anything I change. You know, every, every time I have a post that I know is going to piss some people off, I always have this little, like, as I'm about to hit send, I always have this little bit of pit in my stomach where I'm like, 
thinking about myself in like five days and wondering, am I going to be sitting there like, Oh my God, I really shouldn't have done that or shouldn't have said that. Um, but I haven't gotten in any trouble yet. And, uh, I haven't really regretted anything that I've said yet because it is all things that I sincerely believe. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's, you know, could be worse. We'll, we'll see, <laughs> we'll see how it plays out, but I don't think there's any, uh, any clear and obvious, um, things that I would go back and change at this point. I'll have to think about that one. Hey, I mean, that's what I want to hear. You know, if you said like, oh, I wish I did X, Y, Z, it's kept going. I would have been like, Oh God. Cause you know, I'm probably yeah, making the same mistakes that. you are. <laughs> <laughs> I would have, I nope. I, I think, uh, that, that is crazy. I don't really think about that a whole lot, but, um, I am really happy with this. It's good. I would, I would, you know, I want, uh, it to be an option for more for more students too. I think the biggest issue, like why don't people gravitate more towards a uh, hands-off approach? Um, and I think a lot of it comes from just not knowing that that's on the table for them. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I think there's a huge value in knowing who the big players are in your field and knowing like who's who and, and uh, like, it's just tough because so often people just don't know like who's who in chiropractic, who's who in PT, who in rehab. Uh, like I know I didn't until the second half of being in school. So the more exposure people can get to uh, those different avenues, I think the more popular this, this will become. But I think the reason that it's not popular right now is people just don't know that they can do this with this license and the scope of practice. So um, if they listen to this podcast and want to know how to treat people over video call, just send me a message and I'll tell you. I might even let you sit in on a call. You can see how silly I am in patient consults. All right. So you already started the whole plug-in. So, you know, where can everyone find you? Uh, TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I have my, my TikTok page. I've got my Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I don't really use Facebook and Twitter anymore, but they're there. And then my website, uh, which I'm told if you just type it in on Google, you can't find. So that'll be what I try to figure out this week. Uh, Twin Cities Rehab-Performance.com. If you actually can't find it, which I'm suspecting you can't, the link is in all my social media bios. Um, and then people can email email to Aaron Kubal, DC. Yes, I do identify as DC. And I wear it proudly, damn it. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, and I'm, I'm always open to that kind of stuff. So if anybody ever wants to chat, then let's do it.